Welcome to the Filmmaker's Playbook. My name is Jason Brannigan and this is a podcast all about filmmaking. This is episode one and today I am joined by director Dermot Goggins. Dermot is an award-winning director whose credits include Casualty, Silent Witness and Bulletproof. He was the lead director on AMC's crime drama series Kin, now playing on BBC, and the director of the Netflix number one show, Witness Number Three. Dermot's latest project is a four-part drama series called The Night Caller for Channel 5, which will hit our screens in the coming months. I'm lucky enough to call Dermot a friend and a mentor, and I've always appreciated his openness and honesty when talking about his own industry experiences. In today's conversation, Dermot gets candid and we talk about how we got started in the industry, how to marry efficiency and ambition, the notes process, how he preps and the tools he uses for communicating with his HODs, tough experiences and the mistakes he made and working with actors. Thank you for joining us and I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Dermot, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's great to have you. Thanks, Jason. Good to be here. Thank you, man. Um, so I guess, look, I recently read an article you wrote for the BBC when you were working on Silent Witness. And in that article, you said that uh, being a director was all you ever wanted to be. And I was wondering, can you recall what it was that sparked that interest in filmmaking for you at like an early age? My mom was a primary school teacher and my for some reason she got landed with recording all the communions. And so back in the kind of 80s, she used to bring home a really old-fashioned video camera that you had to plug into like a VCR and to record the the, the communions. And she obviously wasn't a filmmaker in any stretch of the imagination, but I guess I was uh, exposed to a, a video camera at that stage and we thought it was quite interesting. We used to watch ourselves on the screen and put ourselves up and, and um, kind of... At the same time, my eldest brother was was used to buy Empire magazine, the the, the film magazine Empire, and um, I used to look at that from time to time. And there was one particular supplement that they put out, which I still have, which was a kind of a behind the scenes supplement. And in that, there was behind the scenes of movies. And I guess it was the first time ever it broke the fourth wall for me, where I thought actually people work on this. And some of the pictures that were in that were like um, uh, Frankenstein and the monster, and the two guys playing the actors are having a smoke uh in costume you know and i thought oh god they're like they pretend to be people like you know you you, you assumed at an age and i'm talking to my teens i guess i just always watched movies and got scared and thought this is for real but that kind of broke that idea for me and there's there was pictures of cameras and in particular a picture of a camera on a dolly and tracks and it was my first obsession with kind of tracks i thought oh my god they sit on this thing and they can push the camera and the camera moves and and i it kind of i guess i started to explore the idea of that and Kind of at the same time as all that was happening, my sister was my youngest sister was into Sylvanian families and she bought these Sylvanian families and I started to kind of record stop motion kind of videos with her Sylvanian families. So I, you know, inch by inch, frame by frame, moved these Sylvanian families into her house and um that obviously ended up with some sort of explosion or something crazy that you know young boys do. And um and so started to figure out, you know, stop motion filmmaking first, and then that progressed into kind of writing I, I wrote a short film I read a story in school and I thought let's make this into a film and so about 15 me and three of my mates went up to Marley Park and we shot um a, a kind of a war movie you know like a really really bad war movie called Ripley's Way and um uh I had no idea that you edited things and so I, I shot it just as one take I shot the whole thing and so we set up the scene and I just 
shot wide shot, walked into a close up, came back to the wide shot, went back into the close up, and and did this whole thing, and then uh, we watched the film, and it was like a so a one take film that lasted about six minutes, and in between that there was mistakes and errors, and the camera would refocus, or I'd run over, and 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 that was kind of from there developed, and I then understood editing I started to understand that you actually record the scene or a take of the scene and you edit that and I guess that was the first exploration of film for me and then it from then it's kind of it grew from there so it was a culmination of all them things which was the first my first memory of it um as opposed to it being a film experience a lot of filmmakers say they went to see you know Star Wars or something that inspired them it was actually not really a film really it was a concoction of films that I loved film but it was actually the understanding of actually being able to make it and, and that I that was an eye-opener for me and ever from that moment on I thought if you can work in this career you can earn money and make films I thought that sounds like the best job in the world. So when you made Ripley's Way and you get to watch that back I suppose, what was that feeling like for you then? Was that the thing in that moment that kind of like hooked you into the process of making films and made you say, yes, I definitely want to do more of this? Yeah, I think um, we we watched that back and and that we made that on one weekend and then the next weekend, um, or, or, you know, a weekend after that, we decided to make another film. And that that grew out of the fact that I had watched a behind the scenes on on miniature filmmaking where, they were doing plane crashes and they made miniature scale miniatures to crash the plane. Again, I had no idea that, you know, in, in, for effects in movies, when you crash the plane, I just assumed they crashed a big plane into it, you know. And then it was like, oh no, they built a mountain and the mountain was like, you know, uh, uh, the size of a matchbox car or whatever, you know. And um, so we decided to do that. And so a friend of ours was really good at woodwork and he built a woodwork house. And in that woodwork house, which was a scale model, of a replica house in Marley Park, we decided to do a film where two kids went into this house and they were playing with matches and obviously the house went on fire. And so when they went in, we they went in and we shot the film around the house and then we set fire to the scale model and cut that together, you know, and um, in doing so set fire to my father's bush in the back garden because we just used, we had cans of Link spray and we just kept spraying it on the flame to make it go higher and higher. And uh, yeah, and it was like that. It was just the, the process of that was, in some ways, it's a bit like, I guess, you know, young kids go out with fireworks and bangers and, you know, do silly things with insects or animals. And there's an expiration of kind of, I don't know, craziness in a, in a, in a young boy. that And I, it manifested for me in filmmaking where I kind of went, how can I explode things and do crazy things and film them? But like make a film, like not, not um yeah, make, put together this little kind of three or four minute film and um and, and each time I did it, I learned a little bit more. And like still to this day, every time I do it, I learn a little bit more and you learn something else and it progresses you on. Yeah, it, it really just came from, it's like a bug, I think, you know, you kind of just become obsessed by it and you f- figure out that it's, I guess playing it back and having people watch it is really exciting, but it was it was also fun, you know, in a kind of a sad way, one of the, the my youngest kind of collaborators, one of the guys that came on board and did them first few films with me, um, took his own life like in at like at 20 years of 20 years of age and I watch them back now kind of in a very different space because he's no longer with us you know and it's like um so now it's a, now I watch them back it's a record of something else but I also watch back and I'm quite embarrassed that I actually had no clue what we were doing and it, they're terrible they're really really terrible films and you know you watch what Spielberg made when he was 12 like they, they were pretty impressive you know but um mine were not like that at all you know I think that's okay though um I think making 
terrible films is actually an, an important part of the process. And I have made tons of them. For you, where was going from that kind of, I suppose, being an amateur filmmaker and like trying to develop your craft? Where was that transition into becoming a professional filmmaker? Or was there a moment for you in your career where you're like, okay, I can call myself a director now? Because I know for me, anyway, it took a long time before I was actually willing to give myself that title. I guess that primary comes with, I think, when you, in some ways, when you kind of get, when you get paid for it, I think, I think when you kind of get an actual paycheck for doing what it is you do, I think you kind of somewhat feel, and I was probably lucky in the sense of that, probably partly due to kind of being clueless, but I, I um, did my leaving search and at that point, I, I you know, went to film school and so I went to Dunleary National College of Art and Design at the time, National Film School as they now call it. But, um, and um, it was like, at the time you had to do a portfolio and get leaving cert results and they put the two of them together to get in. And so I, that was the process that I took, went and did that, did three years there and then came out of that and kind of landed on my feet, getting into kind of corporate filmmaking. So someone I knew, Stad ran a company making corporates and they did, you know, health and safety training videos and, you know, I I worked in a video for electronic voting before they scrapped it, you know, and that kind of stuff, you know, where, um, and I got into that and I thought, you know, I'm directing here, I guess, you know, and it was very loose, like in terms of directing, you know, you, well, I, I guess I got paid for that. And I, I called myself, a, I guess I called myself a director then, you know, but it wasn't, I guess I was never really happy. Are we ever really happy? That's another question. But, um, I always kind of felt what I wanted to do was make films, you know, make drama. And I was working corporates. And so it started there. Then I kind of got offered because I had done my um, uh, formal education in Irish. I went to Gael schools. I had Irish. And so TG Cahar was a burgeoning thing at the time. And they were looking for directors. So I got on to do, um, to kind of direct uh, some inserts for a sports program that TG Cahar were doing. And guess I call myself so I, I probably call myself a director pretty early on in my career in a way I kind of felt because I was directing but I wasn't directing what I wanted to direct so I wasn't I, I wasn't very proud of the work you know and it's probably something I suffer probably still a lot with to this day like I'm not that I'm not proud of it but I sometimes don't talk about certain things for some reason because I feel oh it's not as good as I could have been and I got I kind of got better at that but um yeah and that kind of progressed on so I, I probably I probably called myself a director probably earlier because I felt I was being paid for the job and it felt believable to be there. But it's probably only probably in the last five years where I feel like I'm a director in the shape, in the way that I want to be a director, if that makes sense. And being a drama director is I sent, is where I wanted to be. So I feel happier calling myself a director now because I'm where I feel I should be directorially as opposed to making corporates, art, TV, factual documentaries, that kind of stuff. That makes total sense. So... That kind of, I guess, transitional period from, you know, you're making your own kind of, I guess, amateur work, you go to school and you're working in corporates. When it then came time to start making that move into drama directing, how did you approach that? Let's say in terms of story, like what are you looking for in scripts when they come across your desk? Like what's that spark or that special thing that you kind of are looking for when you're reading scripts? I think I guess what it is, I feel first and foremost, always kind of drawn to character. I think I kind of read, I read a script and always kind of connect with a certain character, you know, ideally, I guess the protagonist, but usually it's a certain character or a group of characters within it that I, I, I first attach myself to. And I kind of go, is that a journey 
I want to go on. And I, I probably look at that, the journey, not necessarily the journey of the story, but the journey of the character. Do I want to go on that journey? I spend two years potentially on this project with that character on the journey that they're going to go on, if that makes sense, you know? And I think that's probably where it starts. The first kind of thing, and if I find a connection within that, probably the second port of call tends to be quite visual for me, where it will be, is there a visual quality to the work? Or is there a visual area thematically, tonally, stylistically that I can tap into and kind of do something with that? Where I, so I kind of, if I find a character that I find quite intriguing and I find that story that that character is going to go on intriguing, then I find, I try and find a process, a, a visual um, matching style that I think will connect with that. And what can I, I guess, bring to that, add to that? But also, is there something stylistically that I haven't, say, done before or something that I really want to do that I can kind of do on this show and kind of, and it, it, get, it comes from the script, it comes from the story in the script. So I think it's probably a combination of kind of the, the, the two of them kind of intrinsically together and that if there's a brilliant character that I kind of really, really fall in love with and I see a visual quality to the writing, but also that I find something really visually strong about it, then I kind of go, that's what really that's that's where I would then pitch or push to try and do that job. So is that then where your personal connection to the material kind of lies, or are you looking for something that really sings to you as well? Um like on, on a personal level, or is it just digging into that that character and the visual quality of the work? I think so. I don't think I don't I guess um particularly I guess in TV world where you um, I'm probably, I'm probably getting into slightly more starting to develop my own work now where that work has a more personal resonance to me, where I, I have stories and ideas that have some relevance to something I want to say about the world or a, or a uh, yeah, a gripe I have against the world and I want to kind of shout it out and I want to shout it out through a film that I'm, I want to make. I think sometimes with, particularly with television where you're kind of pretty much a, a gun for hire to a point, you know, it's harder to connect to that. I I will try and find an, a connection to it. It may not be the reason that the script was written, you know, so I'll always find a reason for, so for instance, when Ken came to me, Ken it was, a, was a family drama. I came from a family, a big family. I had four brothers and a sister. I know what the kind of intricacies, the ins and outs, the kind of the foibles, the chemistries, the, the how family works at that level. And I kind of find it's it's you know politically, socially, it's like a microcosm of the world's family, you know, because it's like it has, you know, brothers, sisters, hires, lowers, it has it has power, it has shifts and control, you know, it has love, it has jealousy, it has all, I guess, um the main themes that make all the great films sing, all kind of wrapped up in family. And then it's it I have no understanding of gangland because I don't have any gangland background or experience but that's I guess what bring, what raised the stakes in that show so Kin for me was family and I felt what it said about family and what it explored in family was something that I tried to find that's where I found the connection in it for me and that again it was no I didn't see a particular character like my brother or someone like my father or, but what I found was I found within my own family and the problems that we we have I related to the story in that regard if that makes sense so I, I make a personal reason for it but it may not be the reason that the story was told by the writer or by the team that were making it just to go back to you mentioning that thing of early earlier on in uh your career you don't necessarily get 
a vast amount of say over what work you do. And there's a balance there in trying to do the work you want to do versus the work you're offered. And um, I know you have worked in the Irish language, but would I be right in thinking that kind of Hollyoaks, Red Rock, that was kind of maybe the beginnings of your English language TV drama work? Yeah. I would it was yeah definitely um I I guess I came out of film school and I kind of made more exploratory stuff yeah I think my earlier work so my short film in college was called Nell and then the two kind of short films I made in Irish were very kind of exploratory kind of much more art house films than kind of this the t- much of the TV TV work that I've done and I guess for me the difficulty uh I have quite an art house side to me you know in terms of I get really turned on enjoyed art house films um and non-mainstream film uh, but i also quite love mainstream film you know I'll, I'll happily go and uh watch something in the ifi but go around and watch something in the Odeon that uh you know watch top gun the next day and, and really enjoy that and i guess i kind of find i kind of love both of them and i kind of love to be able to try and I guess combine them to a degree and I kind of think there's elements of that in my work where I think there's a kind of an art house element to the way I may design things and shoot things there's a cinematic quality to that but then you have to try and uh, satiate or, or please um, the people producers executives that are creating a television thing which is a um, there are more rules within that there are certain things that you have to do you know in terms of um, pleasing them people and so yet yeah, trying to marry them two things is really difficult at times and like I know even someone like David Fincher talks a lot about making making films and making movies you know and he kind of very much differentiates that where he's he makes films and then sometimes he makes movies you know and like you know so like Panic Room is a movie for him and Mank is a film for him you know and like so he kind of has again he struggles a little bit with with that as well where you kind of go what do you do and how do you do that because they're they are very different kind of beings you know which i know i probably segue completely from your question there but you know there you go that's the way it's gonna roll i was recently reading some john ford stuff and john ford always referred to them as pictures it was always motion pictures you know and that and that was i guess how he composed his images and stuff it came from a different place than maybe the blockbuster that we're used to now from the continuing drama like Hollyoaks or Red Rock, those shows I think are very much like nearly a subgenre um of drama in their own right. They have their own visual style, their, their grammar, and um, very particular demands in terms of production. I'm wondering, like, what were the lessons you took from working on those types of shows? And are there any kind of things you learned that changed or shifted the way you worked moving? forward i think there is i think um uh i think the biggest thing is i guess efficiency i think the biggest thing you learn on them things is being efficient you know and i um when i did film school i was we literally were kind of the last year that used film you know there's still 16 mil films and we shot in my first year we shot on 16 mil film you know and you had like one 400 foot roll of film which was 11 minutes in duration that was it there was no cards. There was not endless cards and endless hard drives. And you kind of learned an efficiency of storytelling there. And that kind of came from prep and you you storyboarded or shot listed or blocked out what it was you wanted. And within that 11 minutes, you shot your film. That was it. That was, you had to do it. And, if you, and I think um, what them shows afford you to do is the same thing, is efficiency in how you tell, in how you tell story. And I think that's the big thing I learned on, on them was that how to be... Um, 
how to tell the story in I guess in some ways the least amount of shots, like you know, and, and and efficiently in that like that, you know, if you can do something in one shot or two shots, well then, um, why are you shooting five? I guess is the kind of simple thing, you know. And you're and you're like that is where in that in that industry I found myself on particularly on Red Rock, uh, which was mental. You know, we were shooting something like twelve to fifteen pages a day, single camera. You know, and sometimes you'd have an A and a B camera, but it was it was mainly single camera. It was crazy. You know, it was absolutely mental. And it was something incredibly exhilarating about it, how you would, I guess, also blocking. I think, you know, uh, the idea of how you would block for that can be different to how you may block for uh, your movie. But I think in essence, what that is, is, um, you know, for instance, the best way I can describe that is like, uh, I once had someone shadow me who came in and they blocked out a scene and, and they had like two actors, one actor, one actor, one actor, people sat at like 10 different places in the, in the set and it was like you've got you've got 40 minutes to shoot the scene and you have to get a shot on every single one of them every shot's going to take at least 10 minutes that's you're not going to complete your scene so the idea of like stacking you know where you put put three people together in one scene or one place and two people and then the main person in the scene put them alone and so suddenly you've got three shots to tell your story as opposed to 10 because you've got 10 different shots in different places that that kind of stuff i think i didn't really understand that until you went into kind of uh, continuing drama and I probably heard that I probably learned that the, the hard way and that I certainly did in my first jobs blocked them wrong and find myself having to shoot too many shots you know and it, it's by trial and error that you learn to do that and I think as I've gone on I've you bring that efficiency with you because I think people forget directorially that 50% of your job as a director is telling the story and telling the best possible story and 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 uh, entertaining people and pleasing people, but the other fifty percent is doing it on time in the schedule that you've been given, and and that's part of your job. You sign off on your schedule, and you have to deliver it. And if you don't deliver that, and you continue to not to deliver that every day, you you will probably lose your job. You know, and um and kind of people forget that. So the art the art of filmmaking and directing is is telling the story and bringing your style and your vibe and and working with the actors and creating a brilliant performance, but also doing that on a time frame, you know, and doing that on time scale and they're in the two marry and and that's 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 difficult you know and some directors yeah let's call, let's say David Fincher again like Fincher would struggle to direct Fair City you know he'd never be able to do it you know because it doesn't mean he's not a good director it just means it's just like it's a different skill set right and I think you could you have to learn to then and that's sometimes the kind of difficulty where we, we we talk about this a lot you know the idea of how you make the break from continuing drama to kind of long-form drama and sometimes when you're in the continuing drama world because you're shooting multi-cam and 20 different shots and 15 pages you're suddenly not a cinema maker because you know you, you can't be that person but most people that do that world are they just happen to be working in that area to fulfill the job but they certainly have cinematic goals and ambitions they just haven't had a chance to kind of showcase it and it's like that, that's what's really hard about that industry you know and that break from continuing drama to high-end drama but the same thing for me stays true which is that you still have to be efficient and the more efficient you are um for me the better filmmaker you are you know it's like a, it's that thing you know it's like it's it's 10 to 7 you wrap at 7 you've got you know three shots to get how do you get them three shots or how do you wrap it into one shot to make sure you complete your day that's kind of direct that's what directing is you know it's like solving all them problems really really quickly in the heat of the moment is actually directing direct directing kind of as it says in the books is is not what it really is actually because actually you have to understand the aesthetics of that you know but i'm saying you kind of you know you talk to the actors and you have six weeks rehearsal and you go in and do all that like that is 
in truth is what it is but it, it is never that you know in television you get no rehearsal time sometimes you meet the actors for the first time on the day of the set you know what I mean and you're like you just jump into it and you've got 40 minutes and you shoot a scene and it becomes what it becomes and that's crazy and you kind of go how do you how do you do that and that's that's I guess experience but that's the job you know and it's like it is a it's a mental job in that regard you know and I have to say from I obviously had the absolute joy of shadowing you um on your new show the night caller previously black cab um what i saw was you were incredibly efficient but it that didn't inhibit your ambition whatsoever and i think there's a a kind of very fine line there where coming from a world that is maybe visually form formulaic in a sense um in that multi-camera kind of studio setting in terms of even where i am that you could very quickly fall into the habit of coverage and um what i saw was your ambition was always massive and you still completed your days i guess how do you maintain that ambition when you look at a schedule that is crazy and you go okay well how do i do it or is it just trusting your cast and crew and listening to them because they can often have ideas that are better than your own. How much of that feeds into, I suppose, the ambition of what you're trying to do on the day? Yeah, I guess I think the thing about it is I I I always um and I it could you, you, one of your earlier questions about you know what excites you about a project. I think that it's always a thing. I always see I budget I try the but I try not to let the budget kind of worry me you know I guess I've kind of worked at numerous different levels of budget now you know from Red Rock to you know which had I don't even know how much I had an episode probably 20 or 30,000 pounds and it was crazy what we had for you know to to Silent Witness which, Silent Witness which probably had about a million an episode you know um to Bulletproof which had which had more you know probably two million or something an episode you know and you're like and you, and you kind of go when you work at them levels what changes? Um, the job remains kind of exactly the same in some regards. You may get a little more time in the sense of on on the page, if you know what I mean. But what you get is the ambi the ambition remain is is kind of higher, and the expectations of what will be delivered are higher. So, so therefore, you probably spend more time lighting, more time setting it up, and probably the same amount of time shooting it that you do. Um, and so. But there's more expectations on your shoulders and there are more people sitting behind the camera telling you what they don't like. And that's kind of where it comes from. I think um, uh, if you don't have ambition, I don't see, I kind of don't know why you're doing it in a way. I kind of feel like I always have, I have to be really ambitious about what it is I want to do. And I want to make it look 10 times better than I think I can make it. And certainly what the budget is. And a, a lot of the time when people watch stuff that I've done, that's what they'll always say. They'll say, I, I, yo, it doesn't look like you did it for that amount of money. And I kind of go, yeah. And I think the skill, of, I think the skill of that for me comes slightly earlier in the process and I'm very kind of out over this which is that I get the script and my first kind of port of call is to kind of go what how many days we have an episode what's the kind of budget and then look at the script and try and straight away pull pull that down to kind of what it is we actually have so if in the first three pages there's three car crashes an explosion and somebody jumping out a window I'm kind of going we're probably not going to achieve them on the budget that we have. So I think we should lose one or all of them uh, or re, re, repurpose them to be something else that we can actually afford. And then that often gets hit initially with, oh, but like, that's what we love most about the script. And, and you're like, yeah, and I love it too. It's great. But if I try and do the car crash with the amount of money we have, it's going to look terrible. And that's all people are going to talk about is how terrible the car crash looked. So 
let's not do a bad car crash or let's do a really, really good car crash that's going to cost us £100,000. Let's put all the money into that, but let's take away something else that we can then save some money somewhere. Because, And so I, I guess... It's harder to do that in continuing drama. You don't get a chance to do that. You know, like you can't do that in Fair City on Casualty on, you know, a little bit on side. It's harder to do that because it's much more of a kind of a, a conveyor belt of production. And I, don't, I mean that in the best possible way. You know, it, it's, you jump in, it's going, it moves, it does its own thing. The scripts are the scripts. They are formulaic in terms of they're probably dialed into a machine that where they're being spat out with certain requirements and parameters. So you're not really fight, facing them problems um, to some degree, you know? Um, but I think that's the thing is that I, a lot of the problems that ambition comes from earlier on is trying to then just try and scale back down what's doing it. The other kind of really simple thing that I have started to do, and again, you can get a lot of, is trying to contain locations. You know, I think what happens is you get a script and the line producer breaks it down or the location manager breaks it down and there's 45 locations and you're like, right, well, that's huge over uh, a four or five week shoot, whatever the, the week shoot is. And then you start breaking that down into a schedule. You go, well, over the course of the day, we're, we're doing three unit moves. Um, for me, I try and have a day where there's absolutely no moves on the day. I kind of go, we don't move. We go to one location and we spend the whole day, day there. And then I can control the day. Then I know that I'm not losing any time on, on traffic or a truck getting lost. or And, and you're, con you're controlling the day. So the ambition then can be higher because you can go, well, we can spend more time doing it. Whereas if you're going on a location move and you're doing three different moves, you're losing an hour each time, minimum. So your 10 hour day is suddenly seven hours and something will go wrong. So you've got six hours to film. So you, you'll get to the last location and have to shoot it really quickly. And then the whole thing goes out the window because you've suddenly broken your palette. You've shot in the room that was pink and you said you didn't want to use pink and suddenly you've got pink in your show and you didn't want pink in your show. Or you just have 10 minutes and the actors don't really know the lines and are you having a chance to talk about it and the scene just becomes quite boring and stayed and and it is you know and so i guess it there's a lot of a lot of it for me is a, is beforehand and i kind of learned that true you asked about what i learned i think i learned that true continuing drama where uh trying to cut back on stuff and it's they're not easy to, not easy battles because as soon as you start to kind of say to people we want to lose locations they see the show getting smaller you know they kind of go well but suddenly the small, it's going to feel like a soap, they'll say, because suddenly you're in the bar all the time and you're like, yeah, and and maybe you are, you know, maybe maybe that's what it's going to be. But I tell you what it is, I'll, I'll make the bar look really bloody good and it's going to be really strong and the scenes are going to be really, really strong and they're going to be performed really well. So the story will be really engaging. And that's kind of the selling point in a way where sometimes moving 10 times and having 10 different locations, it's each of the locations only looks 10% like they should look as opposed to the one location looking 100% like it should look. Does that make sense? So I think it's it's the ambition lives in my head purely because of what I've done kind of beforehand and having them major conversations with producers, line producers and the writer, you know, to scale back the ambition of that in, in the best possible way. You know, I, I do it knowing that it'll make it for a better show, not because I don't want to, you know, do something. I just don't want to do, do something badly, I think is what I always want to do. And I think that's where that's what allows me the ambition, the time to do the ambition, I think. It's great. And I think they're, as you, you kind of mentioned, very difficult conversations to potentially have and um, because people may feel attacked or there's a defense level there. Um, but I think it kind of segues nicely maybe into Kin and I guess how you handled that, I guess, transition in a sense, because it, it does feel like the next step career wise, where you go from episodic television to being the lead director 
and um, where you're responsible for setting up the show and establishing that visual language that and the grammar, the tone, the texture that subsequent directors who are going to come in and work are kind of following the path that you've blazed. So was was that a daunting task for you or was it something you relished or how did you handle that? It, it wasn't daunting. And I don't mean that in a kind of any kind of arrogant way, you know, like it, I kind of felt really ready for it, I guess, you know, I guess I felt, um, um, when I read the scripts, I had a very particular style. Like I, when I read the scripts, something happened where I just, I straight away instantly. Um, and, and you know, like, I do these kind of mood reels, you know, where I put together these kind of uh, visual uh, mood reels. So I look at films uh, and I'll put together, you know, uh, a mood reel, tone reel of, of what I think the show may look like, you know, and that is composition, colors, tone, style, music, all kind of combined into like a two minute little video. Um, I kind of instantly knew what I needed I needed to do to make the show work. I, I kind of knew the the relationships. Like I understood the characters and I went, I know what this needs to be and what and so um the the process for it was I was actually working on on another show at the time. It was and um that show was cancelled because of COVID, because we were in, in the middle of COVID and COVID came and it was there was a little bit of travel and they said, I don't think we can do the show. So the show was pulled and I was staring in a, into a chasm of unemployment. And um, Kin was kind of ongoing, and they hadn't knocked down their first their block one director yet. And um, in a conversation with Peter McKenna, the writer, uh, said that we still don't have a director. You know, and he said you should put your name forward. But it was it was kind of mainly to do a second block because I think they wanted someone more experienced, and someone had done a pilot, an American pilot, because of AMC. And so I said, look, I'll throw my name in the hat anyway, expecting maybe to get a second unit, sorry, second block out of it. And um, they. I wrote up a, a pitch document, um, uh, a director statement of it was, and at the time I was expecting my second, uh, my second child, and um, in the middle of COVID I couldn't go into the hospital, and so my wife was taken into hospital, go upstairs, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what was happening really. What was a baby going to come out and me not see that? But and so I sat outside the the walls on Hollow Street, um, in quite a quite an emotional place in my life. I guess COVID was happening. You weren't you know, to your family, you know, there's this weird kind of world. I'm expecting my second child with, you know, um, which is kind of, you know, a really difficult place to be because you're like, you're bringing a child into the world and and I've no money potentially coming in. And how is that, how's that going to work? And how can I support that kid? And and this job comes up and, I, and they want me to write a statement. And so no, no time like the present, I guess. So I'm sitting outside Hollow Street on a wall and I start tapping out what I think Ken is as a director statement. And it becomes quite an emotional thing about family and connection, a little bit about my dad, but but about family and and the um I guess the difficulties of family and 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 how kind of raw I felt about about to become a new father, hoping that everything was going to be okay in the hospital because there's always a chance that something may go wrong. And how will I, how will I deal with that? And that all kind of came out into a one page kind of director statement that I just sent to Peter to send on to the producers. And uh, it responded incredibly well with them, you know, and I, uh, they found it incredibly emotional and they wanted to get on the Zoom straight away. They were like, we need to talk to you. And I was like, I'm kind of just expecting a baby. Can we do it later? And they were like, yeah. And it was, the, I think it was, a, it, was, it was a Friday. And they were like, can we do it tomorrow? And I was there going, oh, I mean, can we wait till Sunday? Because I don't even know when the baby's going. So we did, we put it, we put it on till Sunday. And I just jumped on a Zoom with a new baby in hospital 
on a Sunday and we did a Zoom call for two hours where they pretty much grilled me for two hours. It was probably one of the hardest Zooms I've ever done. They grilled me about absolutely everything. And, and then they asked me, had I any visual stuff? And I said, you know, they, they were really nice because they knew I had a new baby, blah, blah. And I said, well, actually, I have put together this little mood reel, but it's really short because I hadn't much time. And they said, will you send it on? And I did. And I said, on a, it was a minute, I think a minute or over a minute. And I think on the Monday, I, they offered me the job. They were like, will you leave the show? Job's yours, do it. And I was like, great, yeah. And um, I guess, yeah, I kind of felt it was a big job and I knew it was a big job. It was a huge leap for me. Um, and it was the like some of the biggest cast. I was going to get to work at a really big cast and all that. And so I'm not, I guess I felt ready and I kind of had this, I had, I knew what the show looked like. I knew what every frame looked like. And one of the things I remember, really remember is that they had done some pre-scouting on it. The location manager had pre-scouted a lot of locations. And um, I remember looking at it and being kind of really kind of deflated by it. And the first thing I said was, I kind of think we need to go back to the drawing board here, you know? And it was like, he had done four weeks work, you know? And I was like, I don't, please don't take this to heart. I don't mean to be mean, but I kind of feel like it, this is not the show I want to make. And um, I, wanted to, I wanted it to be more contemporary and kind of have kind of more glass and more, um, more larger, large, large, more larger kind of bigger architecture and windows and glass and kind of streamlined and, um, uh, and so we went back and we kind of scrapped basically the, this entire Dropbox. I've never been kind of heartbroken and because it set us back a bit. But then we started to go and look at a different way for the, for the show. And we found like the Mason Hotel, which was this kind of really new contemporary space and had a huge open top uh, glass restaurant on top looking out over the city. And I was like, this is the show I, I want to make and put together a little kind of mood board based on that location and sent it to all the execs saying, this is the show I want to make. And they were like, this is the show we want. And it, just, it all clicked, you know, everything just, everything you, every, everything I was showing up and putting together clicked and it just felt like it should happen, you know, and kind of was, it kind of, as it progressed on, it did, it kind of felt all the decisions that we made were right and the show felt bigger than it was and it showed Dublin in a slightly different light than it had seen kind of before. And at the time, the only kind of drama that people could compare to Irish wise was, was a show called Love Hate, you know, and, um, and Love Hate was a very different show, it was much grittier, much kind of uh, more handheld. And we I wanted to go com completely against that. Not the show, my style in general is very much, very antithesis of what Love Hate was. But all a lot of the kind of conversations we were having were, with broadcasters and streamers were like, but will it just be like Love Hate again? Will it be Love Hate again? And as soon as I started to show kind of these um, locations and these on my mood boards for it, people were like, oh, this feels different again and felt, and, and one of the big things for, say, say the Americans for AMC on the show was that the show needed to feel like it was a streamer show and that it needed to feel really, really premium and really high end. And, and how were we, how are we going to do that? And as soon as I started to show some of these images, they were like, yeah, they were sold. You know, they were like, this show is, it, feel, it felt different. So I, I think what it has was, and I think I, I find it sometimes, it's like sometimes it just clicks. It just really, and that, and that clicked. And I found jobs that really click. And I found other jobs that haven't clicked at all. For instance, I pitched for a couple of things this year and I read them and I I don't know, and I started to pitch something and I did one and it took me about three weeks to put some sort of mood reel together. And the biggest lesson in that was, this isn't for me. I went, because when it works, I do it in a day. I do it in a couple of hours because I go, I know this, I feel this and I feel like I can offer this. And I'm kind of big enough now to realize that. And also to say that I've said that to producers where I've kind of gone, don't think this is for me and they're kind of going well you're turning the job, job down let us turn the job down you know let us say it's not for you and i'm kind of going yeah but i don't think i'm the right person for this 
not for you and not for me. And what's going to happen is if I do this job, we're going to get in the room and you're just going to keep questioning everything I do. And you're going to keep asking for this and asking for that. And it's going to be horrible for you and for me and for everybody. So therefore, you know, I'm out kind of thing, you know, and it's, um, it's hard. Like it's really hard to say, I don't want to do the job, but I kind of feel now you kind of know when it's for you. And and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it is. And Ken just was for me, I guess, you know, and it just, yeah, it felt right. Well, I have to say, like, I think whatever those conversations around the locations and how maybe you move that show into a different space, I think even in terms of audience reaction was the right decision. Um, and I remember when 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 the show launched and I saw the first episode, one of the first things that hit me was like it kind of changed my cinematic relationship with Dublin because I'd never seen it look as good as it looked in Kin. Um, it was really, really stunning. And again, I think the, the comparison was Love Hate as it was launching and it was a very different show, but it, again, looked immaculate. Thank you. That means a lot. I mean, it always means a lot, you know, and it's funny because, you know, sometimes around that thing, we're always a bit, you know, people are like, they don't, they don't want to big you up or don't want to say things. And you're kind of going, it's still, you know, I, you know, you said that I kind of have hairs up, up in the back of my neck here now because genuinely that's what we do, you know, and like ultimately all we kind of seek is, is acceptance and thanks. You know, I guess I make stuff. I make it to make it great, but what it's got to reach out to an audience and an audience have to like it. And I, and I think I've found as well where, for me, and I've kind of, this has been a tricky one for me as well. I find that the stuff that really excites me cinematically is a, is a really good story and is a really good character, but it also looks really good. Like, and I kind of find like that, that's something that's really important to me. Like I kind of find like it has to have a certain quality aesthetic wise for me to be really pleased. And there's some films that just, I don't, I, I just don't connect with. And there's certain filmmakers, I just don't really like watching you know and it, they're not bad films for me like they're, they're they're great and they may be emotionally brilliant but there's something lacking in it for me and I kind of find that sometimes the battle is that like a certain way I want to put the camera or move the camera or frame the shot and that's an instinctive thing you know I just do it because that's what my my soul is telling me to do and um when you do that and you can do that and you do that beautifully it's, it's there's a great buzz to it and when you when you're forced away from that into just shooting something the way it should be because that's a really hard place to be, you know, and I kind of, um, so when someone praises your work, it's like, it's, it is the best thing. It is the nicest thing to have. And it doesn't send you away in a spiral, but it's nice because you go, well, someone liked it. And it's, it's the nicest thing ever to have someone like your work. It, it just simply is. So thank you. Yeah, no, listen, and come here, it not just on Kin, because then I guess you moved from Kin, which as you mentioned, was this kind of big American pilot. Um, I think, Witness number three was next, which was, you know, Netflix number one streaming show, which is amazing. But when I first watched that, it was when you were probably beginning to prep for Black Cab. And we spoke around that time, I guess, for the first time on the phone. And I remember watching it as well in terms of standout visuals. Um, You're using split diopters. Um. And you just don't see it often in um, in drama, um, especially kind of those, you know, four-part miniseries drama. And I think you have a really bold and brave visual style and sensibilities. And again, how you achieve it on your schedules and at the budget levels. Would I be right in thinking that moving kind of from Kin 
um, the Channel 5 dramas are probably a bit smaller. Did that give you even more authorship over kind of how how the show looked and felt and tonally how it all kind of comes together? Yeah, I I guess I came off uh, Ken and I, you know, it's I had a I guess I had a tricky time in the edit on that as well. You know, like I found that process quite difficult in that there was a lot of execs, there was a lot of people kind of feeding in on the edit and um and, and like a lot of contradictory kind of um uh, opinions about what it should be and what you should do and um and and as a director you're kind of at the forefront of that you're kind of like the kind of you know, I guess you're the kind of guy taking the machine gun hits um but you're also like not the not the lead controller of that because the the execs above you are are kind of more have more power but there I guess there was a lot of voices in a room and I found that quite difficult to manage myself you know personally I kind of found it um yeah just really challenging and like not no not really knowing how to deal with that and um in that do I fight this do you not fight that how do you you know and so I did I kind of fought a lot of stuff you know in in that like certain things I kind of I don't mean fight I just was very strong in my opinion about what that was you know and I think there's a process in 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 filmmaking where you shoot something uh the rushes go out everyone watches the rushes and it does it does it that for me, that's the time when you discuss problems, you know, something you don't like or you don't want or you, you discuss it then, you know. And it, we got, went through the whole process with, with no questions, you know, but in the edit, stuff wanted to be changed, script wanted to be changed, things wanted to be altered. And it's very hard to do that in the edit. You know, you can't really, you can do a lot in the edit, but you can't add new scenes. You know, there's no F1 button, add new scene. So that became a tricky experience for me. And in my own head, trying to manage that, I kind of didn't want to go back into a world where, uh, there was a, a lot of other people telling me what to do I guess you know and uh, um, and uh, I, I don't mean that in a kind of a not that I'm you know just, I'll just be careful it's not like I don't want other people telling me what to do but it's like it's just more that I think it's I wanted to kind of have that number a little bit less so there was like just a more controlled creative room I guess so um, I decided to look at the basically yeah I stepped down I guess in some ways budget wise to a much smaller kind of scale thing Um. Uh, but it was also what I, I guess excited me about it. And, and what I kind of missed about Kin, I really would have loved to have done all eight episodes of Kin just to kind of have authored the whole thing. And um, So I wanted to do something where I could author the whole thing. And so this is what the Channel 5 uh, show offered me. I guess it was a, to do all four parts. Uh, so to author all four parts. And there was three executive producers as opposed to 22, which I thought that's interesting for me. And I think that's an interesting space for me to get into. And so it was more like a film. And I, and in the same kind of way, I think what happened was I had a very strong pitch idea for it, pitched it, producers, exec producers really went with that. And kind of off I went and created the show that I wanted to create. And then the next show I did was a Channel 5 show as well with the exact same team. And I had even more control kind of the second time around, I guess, you know, or more, or, or not more control, but more creative input. And I was kind of at a level because the first time I had been successful with them and it all worked really, really well. And I guess that's that's kind of the quandary where you find yourself in your life, I think, to some degree, is kind of going, how do I, uh, you know, marry that where I kind of feel, I feel the love, the joy, the excitement I get in this is to take a piece of paper with a load of words written on, written on it and, and to make that world real, you know, and you kind of go, how does this world look and feel and smell and touch? And, and there's nothing other than some words in a paper and a, a conversation with a, the person that's created that. And taking that and making it something that lives um as a, a 3d dimensional thing with people and actors and faces and worlds and colors and I, I love that like i i that's what i relish the most and so not doing that is not exciting to me so 
coming in episodically on a show and coming in and doing block six, block four and episode six and seven um, is less interesting to me as a director. And that's just a personal thing. You know, it's not saying it's bad or wrong or just personally, I kind of go, I don't get the same buzz off that. I get the buzz off setting it up. So what I guess I've started to look for now is stuff that I can set up, stuff that I can go in on and and, and bring my my spake on. And I think certainly maybe in the last couple of years and probably Ken was the kind of start of that. I kind of can witness and then Black Cab, Nightcall or whatever is, um, I think it's probably the, all three of them show my style, who I am, what I am aesthetically. I think if you look at them, I think you can probably know my style now and you kind of go, I think there's an element of, what I do similar all the time and so I, I think I've kind of found myself a little bit if that makes sense and I kind of feel like now I kind of feel that my next step is trying maybe maybe to make a film you know I kind of feel like I'm right to make a film so you talk about being nervous about making a film I'm not nervous about that film now I feel like I'm ready give me the film let's go and make the film and I feel ready and content to do that and I, I felt maybe I was ready for that but I really would hate to see the film I made would have made 10 years ago because it would have been really really bad and um so now I feel now I'm not saying that the film I make now will be brilliant but I think it'll be better and I'll feel more confident about what it is as a as a filmmaker than I would have done and that's the journey that was that's been my journey I guess if we take the nightcaller black cab and um, just because I have a more insight into that process i had the opportunity to kind of watch the development of that show kind of from script stage and i know that you and nick saltrees the writer along with the producers kind of did a lot of work on getting those scripts ready for production and um, you were kind of talking about the idea of having you know 22 execs giving you notes and how they can be contradictory and stuff i was wondering how you navigate the process of working with screenwriters and being the person then who's maybe giving notes when you see ways to improve upon what's already there and just kind of heighten the drama increase jeopardy like how, how do you handle that because again i think getting notes for anyone is there's there's difficulty in it um because it can feel very personal um but i think i i watched you guys have like a really positive collaborative relationship i think in growing what was already really good writing into something that was even better first of it always just comes down to personalities first in the first instance you know i think nick is an absolutely brilliant writer but he's also just a really great guy you know and i think he understands the process sometimes people don't understand the process i think sometimes where the, the initial in that um the, the, the script is a is fundamentally key and is the is the reason we all get together to do this. But for me, it still is somewhat of a blueprint. Do you know what I mean? I, I look at it as a, as a blueprint towards where we're going. It isn't the finite finished documents that everything should come off. It is a a really, 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 and that's, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not belittling scripts there at all. You know that it's like, it's more that I'm kind of going, I, just, I see it as like, it is the template, it is, it is the design, it is the instruction booklet. It is everything. And is, as I said, it's the reason we're here. But, you have to be able to adapt and look at it and kind of go, and, and that comes in everything. Adapt to, A, when a director comes on, the new collaborator who's come on and what that collaborator is going to bring to it and what the collaborator's take on that is. And that's a really important kind of, but then also, I guess, the big thing for a director is, 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 is the practicality of this. Is that now, as we spoke about earlier, is that idea that we now have to make this and we have to make this for that amount of money in this amount of time here, then, and this. And, and and then sometimes them conversations, that's what it is. It's kind of going, 
this is not feasible. And so you can go back and say, this is not feasible. This is why we have to do this, this, and this, and this. Um, and and, and I, I, I guess like everything, I'm acutely aware of the note giving process. And I find it one of the hardest things still to this day for me to deal with, because like you said, it always feels personal. In some ways it is personal, or at least we take it personally. It's never meant personally, but I think we take it personally because as a writer, creator, director, musician, whatever it is you do, when you when you make something, I think you uh, you kind of reveal a part of your soul or you, you reveal a, a part of yourself that is a very exposed, raw, uh, delicate place. And I always kind of describe it analogy-wise as taking all your clothes off in front of people you don't know like you kind of stand naked in front of people. And I find the note giving process for me is a bit like that. I, 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 I've I taken all my clothes off in a room and everyone's looking at me and kind of going, really? And you're like, oh, what, what, what? And I find it like that. And I still to this day hate screenings, like despise them. And I get really nervous about them. And I, uh, I kind of feel sick to my tummy because I know that someone's, and, and I've got better at it, but I still hate it because you know someone's going to come in. So I'm aware of that. And I always try to, very simple thing, which is that start off the email or the conversation with positives. Come in with the positives. What is working? What are the good things that are working? And I do that all the time with editors, with writers, with, with all my creative collaborators. Be positive because it, there has to be a positive. There's always a positive in everything. In everything you look at, there's a positive. Find the positive first and talk about the positives. What's working? What's great? What you love? And then slowly dip into where some of the problems may occur. And dig into it and there's so many emails i see from producers exec producers everybody and it's just hard in on this is shit it's not working we got and you're like whoa 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 and you're like and straight away it puts people's backs up there's a, there's a psychology to this you know and as a director you, you're all these things you're a psychiatrist a mother a father a doctor you have to be all these things and, and one of the things is psychology and the psychology of it is if you tell someone their shit their head just drops you know where if you say you're doing brilliant love your work you're amazing what you're doing Listen, just one little thing, right? Would you do their heads up and they'll they'll take it on, they'll go on. And it's like, it's just, it's psychology in every way of thinking that just come and find the positive and then slowly start working into what it is you, you might do, you know? Um, and I, I think when you do that, that's the first thing you do, it works. Um, and then I think like everything, it's also like working with actors. I think when you work with a screenwriter, I think it's about, my first usual calls are just trying to tap into what it is, why they wrote this thing, you know? What is the... And and with everything that's written, there's always a there's always a reason, you know. And then I think then when you come back with notes, your note then should be prefaced or have a kind of a a, a foundation in something. So going back to a writer or anybody and saying I don't like that scene, why? Because I just don't like it, is going to be met with, go fuck yourself. Uh, wh what? You have to go back with I don't like this scene. I'll tell you why because thematically it doesn't make any sense. Or in the journey of this character is you know he 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 goes here he goes there and then suddenly he's happy just after being told his goldfish is dead. It just seems why why is he happy in that scene? It makes no sense in terms of where he's just come from. And then people will go oh well that that, that makes sense. I see why you think that. I never meant it to be that way. Let's twist it. And so I think it's about finding the reason the reason the reasoning behind your note and being ex very ex explain that well and being a good communicator in explaining where the note is coming from and sometimes that note is coming from uh i i try always not to make the note come from we can't afford this because that's a really annoying note but there are sometimes where you have to do that um and i think that for me that's the process of working with anybody creative is kind of trying to find out the reasoning behind why you're giving the note and if i think if you explain it quite well and you give the, the meaning behind it they're more understanding of it i also think you just have to be prepared that anytime you give notes 
the general reaction is always to be negative and they might kick off. There's also the understanding that, you know, let people sleep on it and the next day everything will be better. It's just that, you know, and so kind of going, you, you have to give the notes and, um, and, and when it works with Nick, it's great. There's other elements where I've had with other writers where it hasn't really worked. And that's the most heartbreaking and horrible experience that you possibly have where um, the A, they're not listening, B, they're not wanting to do the note. And, you know, and you know that it doesn't really matter that they don't want to do the note, that the, the, the scene, the way they want to, is is like not going to happen. And like, you're the you're the kind of bearer of that bad news. Uh, it's not going to happen for a tonal theme theme reasons story reasons are purely practical we can't afford it reasons and you know it's not and you try and talk to them about listen you kind of got two options here you know is that you work with us to write the scene the way you still have some control over the scene or what's going to happen at some point in this process is we, we take the scene away from you and the scene will become whatever it is it's going to be and you will have no control over that and that's the that's the kind of the truth of it and this happens to directors as well because in the edit at some point you step back and producers do their pass and you have to say goodbye to your baby and that's the that's the process and you have to you have to learn that and that's that's kind of what it is and particularly in tv and it's why it's it, it it's brutal so you kind of either learn to row in and work with it or potentially lose it and so with nick for instance nick was great at that where he would kind of go i really really hate the fact that we have to do this or and you'd kind of keep talking about it and he'd slowly come around to the fact that, you know what, if I keep in control of this, I can still write the scene the way I like it the most. It's not, not the one I want to write, but I still have some sort of say on what the scene is. And he was always amazing at that, you know. And, and I think that's what it is. It's about understanding the process. You're better being in the room than being shut out of the room is the way I see it. And it's the same in the edits. You know, you're better being in the room commenting and you have to realize i think i've said this before you know it's like i think you always have an x amount of chips as a writer or as a director as a creative and you kind of go you got 10 stacks 10 chips and you got to fight for them and so sometimes you lose four chips getting a cast member that you want on and so you got six left and then you go well when do i lose and so every time it's a bit of a bun fight so it's a bit of a give and take and you have to learn how to give what to take when not to when to fight and when not to fight and when to and that, that there's a there's an art to that that I, st I still don't <laughs> I still don't know how to do it properly all the time and just, but that's that's the game you know it's about trying to, to manage that out and I think but I think fundamentally is the, it, it's positive I try and be positive about things I think positivity is something that can be quite lacking in this industry maybe in life in general you know and that like we're kind of quite um slow to to praise people and I think it's really important I think that's kind of what we all crave in a way and uh, we kind of crave praise and we crave people in some shape and form we all learned that through COVID that we realized when we couldn't see people and be around friends and family that actually we, we really need that as a human as people as a race whatever um and so I, I think that I think if, you, if you're positive about it I think that's so first off just try and always write the email with a positivity or the note give the note with some sort of positive spin on it you know and 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 also I think it's also a thing of kind of going going in saying I you know I think we should do this as opposed to we need to, you know, or, or, or try and frame it in the same kind of way where it's like, if you go back to a writer and saying that scene, that's about, it needs to be about this. If you go back and say, listen, I have to think about that scene. It's not really working. I think the reason it's not working, but what about it being more about this and more about that and more about something else? They feel creative again. They'll come back and say, good idea. I like that. No, I've taken it and brought it up here. And you kind of go, that's great. So you're not going back and telling someone what to do. You're going back to a creative person and telling them, can you 
rethink it and giving them some ideas about where they may rethink it. And so you're throwing them some shit that they then jump onto and come back. So they feel creatively involved in the process as opposed to just being told what to do, you know? And I think when people get told what to do, that's where they just tune out and go, I don't want to be told what to do. I'm, you know. There's a book I read years ago. I think it's called Making Movies for Fun and Profit. And it's two writers who work together and they talk about kind of the process of like giving each other notes. Um, and one thing that always stood out to me from that book is this idea that if you can also kind of, I guess, bring yourself around to the belief that anyone, any note that someone is sending you, like they're ultimately the end game there is to try and improve something as they see it. And the note itself may not be correct, but if you can approach the note, looking at it from the perspective, okay, well, there's something here that didn't work for that person. Um, like that idea of the note behind the note. Maybe, maybe this sentiment is is correct, but the note itself maybe is they haven't really cracked, I guess, as you mentioned, kind of looking for the reason or the why. They haven't cracked the why it's not working. They're just giving a a flat kind of reaction that doesn't really help, but you can try and figure out if there's a way to make it work. And I think it's also about just, two, just I think that's really, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think the same thing is like, we're kind of going sometimes in a world of communication, we're not great communicators sometimes, but also it's that classic kind of scripty thing as well, where it's like the, the ending is not working and you're kind of going, is it the ending or is it the settle? Like, is it, is it, is it, is it the ending as in the ending is not working or is it because we haven't set it up right to end correctly? So, do you know what I mean? It's like sometimes it's a domino thing where you're kind of going, yeah, the ending's not working, but the ending's not working because the stakes aren't raised high enough, or you haven't set up where you're going there to for that ending to work. So, so oh, don't just attack that. You kind of look before that. So you're kind of going, you know, the middle part sags a little bit. Is it because the middle part's boring, or because we haven't built up something beforehand or afterwards? Or and so it is. You're right. You have got to sometimes dig into that note and go, what is it? And that's why it can be really useful to talk, uh, like you know thematically or, or emotionally you know i guess for you know what we try and do in film is, is create a, is, is emotion right i mean when you feel something love if you laugh or you you feel scared or horrified or whatever you know that's the greatest feeling is to, to watch you know can't can't they played kin on goggle box you know and it's like it was the most amazing experience for me you're watching you're watching people watch your show and they were like it was a scene where jimmy brink puts an iron to one of the guys faces and they were everyone watching going ah no, don't do it, don't do it, you know? It's this incredible feeling that you're kind of going, that's the, that you're going, oh my God, that's what you wanted people to experience, you know? And it's that same thing. So if you can, sometimes if you can give the note going, I don't feel sad, I don't, I don't feel sad here. I don't empathize with this guy in this moment. You're like, ah, okay, that's a good note because why don't I feel sorry for him? So how do I make you feel sorry for him in the editor, in the script? How do I make you love him more, whatever? That's a really good note because you're kind of going, okay, we can dig into that. And there's something in that rather than, it shouldn't be personal, you know, and sometimes that's where we talk about a feeling personal is that it's like, I don't like green. You're like, okay, that, that's a personal choice. Like you don't like green, that's fine. But like, does it impact the story? Is it anything to do with the story or is that just your personal? Because if it's your personal decision on where you think the camera should be, well, then you're not the director. I was the director and I put the camera there. You weren't the writer. You didn't write the script. That's what we you got to stand back. And I think they're really great managers, executive producers, stand back, appreciate the people they put in the place and are able to look at it going, going, 
I may not like the fact that you've done a track in on that or but the story works. It does do the story well and be able to stand back and say, but why is something not landing? You know, and, you're, and I think it's like, it's funny. I was talking to someone yesterday about something similar, but different where it was like, you get a note where someone sends you back a note saying in this scene where uh, the guy is um, really jealous of the other person. I don't think he, it's clear he's jealous. And you're like, well, your note just said in the scene where you're jealous, you don't think he's jealous enough. So did you think he was jealous? You're like, yes. Like, well, then it works, no? And you're like, yeah, but is it is it enough? And you're kind of going, well, you got it, right? Yeah, you're like, well, then, then it works, no? And you're going to go, yeah, but you think Mary in fucking Dagenham will get it? You're like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know if Mary in Dagenham will get it, but it, it's there. It's like, it's, and so now you're talking about kind of nuance in a way, or vagueness, or how much is too much, how much do you need to fucking hammer the nail home kind of thing, you know? And that that's, that's, a, that's a frustrating note because you're kind of going, but you've, in the notes, you've answered the kind of question and yet you want me to do that more and you're kind of, and they're tricky notes because you're kind of going, but how do I, I don't know how I do that more. And if I do that more, now I think we're in a different world where I'm trying to be a filmmaker that's a little bit more nuanced in how we're doing stuff and you want to kind of hammer that home. And I'm like, I don't really want to hammer it home. And I think it's there. I think it's pretty clear it's there. And now you want to put in a line of voiceover to say, by the way, I feel jealous. Now, now it's, it's obvious, it's really obvious, you know? So I think it's, it's it's a really tricky thing. And I think what the thing about it is, is trying to be able to remove yourself. I think that's the difficulty is to try and remove personal feelings and sentiments and kind of watch it. And sometimes that's it. I say it all the time where it's like, we don't, you don't sit down and watch Indiana Jones and give notes. You don't sit down and kind of go, oh, don't know. I think I'd cut out three minutes there and do this and do that. You watch it as a film and you watch it and you appreciate it and you accept it and you love it or you hate it or whatever. Sometimes when you send out a, a, a cut or a script, to give notes, then what's going to come back are notes. Just remember, and like sometimes the biggest, the best note, but also the biggest thing is to stand back and say no notes because actually this works. And like that's so rare. And it's like, and and I think, and, and you know, and I think that's the problem is that sometimes when you send it out, kind of going, give me some notes, people will send back notes, and that's the process. They have to kind of justify the position of giving notes to give notes to give notes, and like that's that's hard. So remember, you're kind of going there doesn't have to be notes it's okay not to give notes and to give an opinion uh but your opinion doesn't always matter and i think that's the it's a it's a difficult thing it's a really difficult thing and i, I still haven't got to the bottom of that i don't think anyone will you know it's, it's hard yeah and i think on on that kind of that the idea of that jealous note as well it's like okay well if you if you do decide to adr this line in that says oh by the way i'm jealous like you also i think if you're trying to it's this kind of like a sense of trying to appeal to everyone, which doesn't work because you're going to lose then the people who want that nuance. They want to understand from the close-up what someone's feeling, not because they're telling them all the time. So it's it's a tricky balance, I think. Yeah, and it goes. It kind of goes against the medium, you know, that's the, that kind of the medium of it. I mean, it's a, you know, fundamentally, we start off as a written word, as we all know. It is primarily a visual medium. Like cinema is visual in a sense of that it's on a screen. You watch it, you listen, and so it's an audio, visual, and and so that's what you should. That's how you should communicate the story. Is in that it should be communicated fundamentally, visually, and like you know, the more dialogue you need isn't necessarily a better thing. But but there's a stylistic thing to that in that like Tarantino has a shitload of dialogue, but it's that's part of his style. It doesn't make it any. Do you know what I mean? It's in like, you don't kind of go, oh my God, I wish he cut it out. Actually, 
his storytelling works with dialogue because his dialogue is fucking brilliant. And like Shakespeare, you know, was great written word, you know, but doesn't necessarily translate to. So it's that thing where you're kind of going, it isn't about, but fundamentally I think sometimes what it comes back to is you're like, you try and do things and tell things visually and people are like, yeah, but will people get that? Will they see that? Do you need to go tighter on that close above that watch? Because will people really see that? And you're kind of going, and then that's become another thing which is, will spiral off a lot of is that it's become difficult now where you, you know, people are now watching on like tiny little screens now. You're kind of going, that's impacting how people are giving notes now as well. You're kind of going, well, what about the guy watching on the phone? And you're like, well, I think the guy watching, I don't really care about him. I can't make a film based on him. You can't, you can't, you have to make the film the way you want to make the film, you know? It's like, in terms of visual style, um, two things you mentioned that I'd love to come to was one, you mentioned disliking the process of being in a screening room and having to watch your work. Um, and I was thinking about, Again, the night caller screening in the IFI. After that screening, I had a chat with Keith Pendred, who um, was the second unit DOP. And I had mentioned just that some of the um the shots of Liverpool um reminded me of the Sopranos. Um I thought there was a sense of that. And Keith said, Oh, well, that was the Sopranos was one of the references that Dermot gave me and Jer Duffy, who was the second unit director. And it got me thinking then about how you prep your visuals and how you communicate with your DOP and production designer. So, for example, are you are you using a lot of comps early on, early on, like during discussions or do, do you go and, you know, some filmmakers will say they watch a lot of films before sitting down to actually start, you know, just to get a sense of what they think the world might be. What's what's your process there for building, I guess, the, the visual language and then communicating that with those HODs? It varies. I kind of find, uh, kind of more recently, I start to find that my first protocol now is is a is a palette. I find um, that the color palette of the show becomes really important to me now. And I start to think where, where should we live color wise? Like what are the kind of colors that start to come with me? So I actually start to look at, um, uh, charts, color charts, and look at colors, and then like look at films that have that kind of color, and start and start to, and so come out of very differently now, where it's like a color. Is there a color scheme that I think may work for that? Um, and 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 that evolves, you know, massively and hugely. And uh, for instance, like, like with with witness, uh, number three to Black Cab, um, it was the same team primarily, and same DOP and JJ Ralph and. Uh, like the, the the first my first word to him was it has to look completely different to the last thing we did. That was I was like that was that was that was the only note I gave him in the first instance. And he was like, Yeah, I agree. I was like, how do we make this I don't want it to be a completely different vibe and completely different feel, you know? And so that became on that was a discussion on, well, different lenses, different colours, different kind of costumes. And it started off in, in in that regard. And I think what it is, yeah, I do find myself watching a lot of films. I, I have I watch movies a lot and TV shows. And then I'll find images, a reference images from that, which I put together in a Word document or in a PDF or whatever, you know. And um, I'll show them to uh, my collaborators and kind of go, I love this and I love that. And I will talk about what it is I like in that, you know, and it might be a colour, it might be the framing, it might be whatever. And it kind of comes from that. Like, say, I think with Witness, Witness became very much, I always felt like I wanted to be uh, observing her all the time, but her, the camera and the world to feel kind of almost claustrophobic and that we were constantly kind of getting closer and that she was being watched. And every kind of frame that we wanted to choose was that she was being watched. So, you, you know, we have a bit of foreground or we do a slow, we, we use a zoom a lot, you know, slow zooms to kind of just sense that the world is, 
constantly watching her, you know, um, and, and constantly being, she's feeling that where she's been watched and that we're always watching her. And then with Black Cab, it was completely opposite of that, where I felt like we want, I wanted to sit back more and observe a man within the world, you know, and sort of sit back and watch a man go about his world. And we would observe that as opposed to be the camera in some ways inferring what I feel. Whereas in Witness, I think the camera is much more, uh, makes makes me feel something a little bit more. Certain scenes and aspects of that where there's like slow zooms in, you instantly go, oh, oh I feel off here. I feel a bit, uh, where we, st we stayed away from that. We had very little zooms on kind of uh, Black Cab. So I I, I don't have a, a particular process. I think it goes through a, a myriad of things. And I start off with um, images uh, and words and sometimes and sometimes an emotion. I kind of go, what is the what is there an emotion in this? And it's like um, for witness, I watch like the a couple is the conversation, the you know, and stuff like movies that where I felt it was about tension, about feeling tense. And I like the idea that when you watch that that show that I constantly feel on edge. And so every discussion about color um, about camera was about how to make it feel on edge. So with costume, it was about what are the colors that we should give the goodies and the baddies? And what are the colors that feel make me feel more welcoming or more unwelcome? And uh, so there's a lot of neon and, and kind of neon feels danger. And so all the kind of gang or neon, there was neon wrapped around it. And we put neon in the world into certain places where Jodie walked, the character walked past the world. So it felt like she was walking past danger and that danger was everywhere. And that we represented that in kind of neon and in fluorescence and high vis where the kind of high visy kind of color. Um, and so that that became something that we then, that evolved and grew into the, the look of that show. Um, where I think with, with, with Black Cab, it was it was kind of very different where, um, I guess, the story was was quite strong in a way. I, the script and witness was there was issues with the script, there was struggles with the script, and I felt in some regard I wanted to be critical of witness. There's times where maybe I pushed too hard, you know. There's times where I maybe I'm pushing the camera a bit too much to try and really infer that because I felt there was certain elements of the script that were lacking, and I kind of felt I could help them by doing. And so I think in some sometimes I think it really lifted the show and maybe gave it a certain life. And a window to to live on Netflix for the time I lived on Netflix, and there's other times that maybe I pushed that a bit too hard, and that on on Black Cab, we had an incredible cast, and I kind of knew really early doors. We uh, I was looking to do some rehearsals with Robert Glenister and Sean Pertwee, who played our, our two leads, and um, particularly with Robert, just because we spent so much time together and so much his show, that I I didn't need to do so much like um. And that I kind of felt the need to kind of do anything with the camera other than just actually put it on his face was actually all I needed to do. And and then just to manage that and how I would do that. And stylistically for me, I'm always interested in kind of two worlds, which are like really, really wide and kind of really, really tight. So I kind of find that middle ground less. And, you know, some people love that style, some people hate that style in terms of, you know, I get that all the time where we're like, oh God, the camera's so close all the time to his face. Why are you doing that? I'm like, oh. Again, it's just something I love. You know, I I personally feel, I, for me that the re, the rationale behind that is the wide is the kind of vista is here's the world, here's the setup, here's where we are, and here's the truth. And so you go, here's the people, and they're walking down the road, and then here's the guy that anxiously doesn't really want to walk down the road because he's got so much going on in his life. And so I, that's the way I do. I kind of go, show me where we are, what the world is, what I think the reality is, and then show me the truth. And just because we're only audio only, what Dermot's doing is just 
hands going boom across the face big close up yeah so it's it's that idea that's like show a big big wide and then go really really tight and i love that i love that sitting because i find it shows it's the landscape of that you know i kind of find the landscape of the face and and the eyes i think that that is very cinematic though i read this william friedkin talking about making films recently and he talks about making some mistakes and actually in some of his early films he says uh what i didn't realize was that um the close-up is basically he says the close-up is the most important thing because i think your description of it as that being the truth is it's funny because you know that's as you grow as you learn as a filmmaker you know is that you kind of use the close-up when you need to use the close-up and and you you hold off on it until you absolutely need to hold off on it. and that's kind of the kind of lesson you know i guess you know the way and I, my style has evolved i guess for me what i kind of do is uh i, I do hold off on it but i kind of do uh, I, I guess what i kind of do is i kind of live in it to the point that you live in it for so long that you know it's important if that makes sense so rather than kind of i guess where tv what tv has done in a way is kind of it's gone wide tight 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 wide tight 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 wide tight 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 and you tell the story that way and you kind of go okay and it's kind of it overuses it. And so what I kind of do is I go, I'll sit in the wide for as long as I can, or I'll start on the tight and I'll stay there for two minutes. And I'll kind of go, I'm going to let you live there because in watching and living and live, you know that it's important. And then you come out wide, you kind of go, this is still important. And so only between two shots is all you're doing. You're not cutting to 10 different shots and people going, where should I be? And I also got to go is I do a, a super, 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 super close up where I go really, really, really tight. And you're going to go, and that's where you kind of, mark the definition but I, I guess it's a it's a question and I think that where where witness and black cab differed maybe in some ways and is that I felt um Robert carried so much of that that I wanted to live on his face but I could hold on his face for all that time and there's not a single second where I went get away from here because I'm fascinated by what he's doing because all the time I'm watching him kind of going this is incredible and I whereas on witness I nothing to do with the performers I felt sometimes it's script was lacking and so I felt I needed to do more where I kind of put the camera in closer push it out or do bigger things and even play with sort of more dynamics and I think it helped in terms of a feeling and an emotion but there's times where maybe I pushed it to the end degree where it kind of did jar maybe a little bit now I kind of look back and, and kind of went maybe I needed to trust the script a little bit more at times and, and trust the world and, and I get I guess that's just the learning you know the learning of what that is is that you kind of each time find find yourself um adapting you know and you kind of go and, and that's why you know i think i have i know what i like i know what styles i like i know what things i like i love i love trying to do stuff in one shot you know if i can hold stuff in one shot i always will i think it's the most powerful cinematic device you know it's like think being able to tell a scene in a single shot is the most incredible thing and it still really really excites me you know as a as a filmmaker um and so I guess that's the thing. And, and sometimes in TV, when you do that, you know, you get you get into trouble, you know, because you're like, well, where's where's the coverage? And you're going to go, I didn't do it. It's this lovely one shot. And you're like, and then you get in the edit suite and you're kind of being torn apart and, you know, um, it's not working. And, and like, it is working. Like, it works. It's just not what you want it to be, right? It's like, but it does work. But, um, and it's really hard because you kind of go, I feel bad because I really wanted people to love this because again, it comes back to what we spoke about earlier. All we want is to be praised and to be liked. And then you, you're and you're not, and you feel like you haven't done the right job. And yet at the same time, you kind of know what you've done is the right thing and it's the right thing by you and you really wish they didn't. And so you're at this kind of really hard battle where you're kind of going, 
I know it's the right thing. Like, I know it's the right thing. It's the right thing for me. And it's the same thing I've heard. It's, it's a harsh one in a way, but it's kind of going, and I learned this the hard way. Whereas that like, yes, listen to your collaborators and yes, listen to all those around you. But when a push comes to shove, make sure that you're the person that makes the decision because you it's much easier to live with your own decision than it is to live with someone else's. Because it's, it's, it's a really bad place to be in the edit when you've listened to somebody and you've done something and you've kind of, you're not happy with it. And you're like, oh, you have to live with it then. And it's really hard to kind of, Whereas if you've made the decision and I know I made the decision and I've lived by the decision, you can put that one to bed a bit earlier, you know? And it's like, and you, you don't feel yourself blaming anybody else and you're kind of, so is that thing, sometimes people go, you know, oh, director, he's such a bullshit prick, you know? He's like, he never listens to anybody. He's like, he's always like, me, And he always has, you're kind of going, the, the, the reason for that, the, re, the reasoning for me behind that is that I can live with it then. So I kind of go, I will listen to you. And I have so many of the ideas in my films, as you, you know, you've known, you've witnessed it, have come from other people on my sets. Like it's not from me, it was an idea to, you know so you, that is a also a sign of really good directors is listening to people around you because they know better than you like you know and so taking that on board and pushing it on but also there's a time where you have to go i'm not listening to this and i'm doing it the way i want to do it because i know that this is what i want and i can then also battle for it in the edit and i will also take the flack for it if it doesn't work that's actually an incredibly important lesson and i i had it as well um I guess when I started directing some TV and I had to go into an exec meeting to get notes and I had done certain things because other people said this is the way it's done. And you can't, I think, I often think of my job in, in a sense of, you know, I tend to try give praise to other people when things work out really well. And then you take responsibility when they don't. So you're the only person who has to deal with like the director is the person who deals with the execs and you get the flack if things don't work out. So you have to be able to stand over every decision because you can't go in and go, well, actually I did that because so-and-so said I should. That just doesn't hold up. Yeah. Well, it's I've watched back, you know, I watch, you know, there's particularly, if I go, if I can go from say Kin to Witness Number 3 to The Nightcaller, which which nobody has seen yet because it's obviously not going to come out until next year at some point. Um, there's, no decision within there that I'm not happy with, if you know what I mean. Like there's certain things that maybe altered in the edit that I didn't necessarily agree with. And but again, I stayed in the room and battled to the point where at least I got a say in how it does end, if you know what I mean. So it may not always but like there's no shot or frame or anything that I I cannot stand up at. And and I am proud to say, well, yeah, that's what it is. And you know, and then you people love it or hate it or whatever. It's kind of it is important, if you know what I mean, but it's also you kind of go, I'm proud of it because it's, it's what I wanted it to be. Where if I go, if I go certainly a little bit before that, particularly on casualties, you know, I, I, had, a, I had a tricky time. I went to do a single block and casualty and then asked back to do a second block to do two to do two episodes in a proper block. And the first episode went grand and the second episode was kind of quite tricky for me. Um, in that, like, I was trying to find myself a bit more and I kind of tried a lot of the stuff I'm talking about where I did a couple of winners and I did a couple of this and that. And I didn't, I didn't shoot a close-up of a particular actor in a particular scene because they weren't doing anything. And so I didn't give them a close-up, you know? And I got a fairly stiff slap on the hand uh, and kind of wasn't wasn't really invited back under that producer at the time because it was, I didn't really shoot the coverage, you know? And uh, it was quite a, it was a tough experience for me, but I, it's, I thought it was a really good experience now because I kind of go, okay, that's the process. That is the process. But I, I, I listened and, and then on the next show did more stuff that other people told me to do and hence watched them back and go, I didn't want to do that though. Why did I do that? And so then you kind of go, 
then you come to a really interesting place as a director, which is that you kind of go, I want to do the, the things that I want to do. And I'm the director I am, as you are the director you are. So when a script comes in, I'm going to direct it my way and you're going to direct it your way. That's the beauty of it. There's no right or wrong here. That's just that's just the beauty of the director. And so you know a Brian De Palma film, you know a Coppola film, you know a Fincher film, because that's the way they tell stories. And 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 that's what you love about it, or not. And so where it gets difficult is don't get David Fincher to do your kitchen sink drama because it, it isn't going to be gritty because that's not what he does. So don't get him to do it. That's sometimes what happens, particularly in television, that's so films, is they're then trying to put in directors who, you know, aesthetically speaking, do everything in a, they do everything in a winner. And then suddenly the TV shows in a winner and they're giving out saying, why is everything in a winner? And you're kind of going, well, that's all he does. That's, that's his, that's his thing. Don't, don't hire that person. And there's numerous stories of that, you know, across the, where great directors have gone in to do TV shows um, and it hasn't worked for them and they've been re-edited re and fired and, and you're like, why? And you're kind of going, but you've, so you've hired the wrong person really, you know? And like, I think that's, that's difficult where you kind of go, that's difficult, certainly in the earlier stories where you're, you know, we, we talked earlier about this, but if you're not picked for a job, sometimes that is down to whatever reason. And it's hard, it's hard because you've got to have lost a job, but I also think sometimes the job isn't for you. You know what I mean? You kind of go to sometimes the job isn't for you in that moment. And I think being able to open up and be honest about that is really, really important. And and, and so being able to sometimes say when people are telling you it's for you. And I, I've been in a position where people are saying, we really want you to do this. And I'm kind of going, I don't think it's for me. Um, and I've had that once or twice. And like, you know, I can, I'll send you that. We'll have that cover of the station with that probably someday where I can show you some of them emails where like producers have come back saying, I can't believe I've turned down a job. And I'm kind of going, yeah, but I'm doing it for you. Like, it's not for me. I'm doing it because I don't think I'm the right person for this job because I'm not connecting with material at all. It's kind of that's a strange place to be, and it's actually quite liberating. And I know there's people going to listen to this and kind of go, "Oh, you dickhead! I can't get a job. I haven't worked in six months. How good of you?" But I, I'm not trying to be like that at all. I'm just trying to say I think you need to kind of find your, I guess, find your happy. You know, what is it that you want to do, and then go and do that. You know what I mean? And if that is, you know, Fair City, or you know, Holby, or Casualty, or whatever the hell it is, I think just you got to find whatever it is that makes you happy in it, and then do that, and kind of progress through that, and not kind of let detractors and people around you, because, you know, you'll find, you'll always be pulled down, you know, you'll always be, and just find what it is that makes you happy, and push to do that, and if that's working 50 million dollars, or 10 million dollars, or five euro, then that's it, like, and then, and if you're not happy, then try and push on, and get past that, and, you know, it's hard, this industry's hard, we talk about it a lot of time, moving from continuing drama into TV, into higher-end TV, and making your films, it's not easy, it's really, really hard, in fact, it's actually impossible, and how you, how it happens, I don't know, but if you want it to happen, it'll happen, and I think it's just about, you got to keep pushing, and you got to keep knocking, and you got to keep knocking, and you got to keep being interesting, and making people find something interesting about you, you know, and, that, and, you, and that's what it is, that's what the job is. You mentioned, um, working with Robert in particular on Black Cab. Uh, coming from continuing drama where you're going in and you're working with actors who have, um, let's say, played the same person for maybe 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, is a very different proposition from going in and working with actors and building those characters, I, I guess, with performers. I was wondering what your process is for that, and as you already mentioned, you know, in, in TV, that actor arrives on set, that could be the first time you're really getting to work with them, say for maybe a Zoom or a couple of phone calls. Um, how how do you handle, I guess, directing performance? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's funny, like on uh, on Casualty, I had a kind of a run in with an actor on basically what you said there, you know, where I had a note for the actor and I gave it to him and it was it was kind of about his character, really. And he kicked off massively because and kind of I was pretty young director and pretty inexperienced. And it, um, uh, it uh, like it knocked me for six, you know, he kind of on the middle of the floor, like just started going down a bit, but not be able to talk about his character. He was character better than me. And, and I was like, I'm, I'm not denying that you don't. It's just, just a question about the character in the scene. And he was like, don't fucking. Anyway, he kicked off and he left the set and didn't want to talk to me and work with me ever again, kind of thing. And you know? I was like, oh shit, you know. And it was like. Um, to me, that just is wild and totally unprofessional. Yes, it's. it's and I. I, I yeah, totally. I mean, that's, and, and that's another. Exactly that. It's, it should never happen. It was a completely wrong thing to do and completely irrational, you know. And, it, you know, most of the time in that instance, and this is uh, not trying to make it, but it, a lot of the time, I, I, I think all the time, I'm going to go go out with a fucking name here, all the time, that is to do with their own insecurity as opposed to you. You know, it's nothing to do with you, although you, it feels like that. It's to do with something else that's going on and, and generally their own insecurity and, and, and personal problems that they have in their head. And for this particular actor, it actually really was to do with the fact that he didn't want to be doing this show and he'd been doing it for five years and he was still doing it. And so it was like he wanted to, he was bigger and better and couldn't get out of it. And, and um and that's fine, you know, but he decided to take it out on a young director uh, on a on a uh, his first, you know, big job for me at the time, casualty working, it was my first job for the BBC, so it was a big job for me, you know, and uh, and it, I remember kind of being really taken back by it, and it was, it was close to lunchtime, and so kind of lunchtime came, and it was kind of a bit of a, a reprise for me to kind of find myself again, but also I kind of went, um, something within me, I don't, I don't even know what it was, but I went, I'm going to confront it. And I don't know if someone said it to me or if I'd read about it before, but I, I said, I'm going to confront this. And so what I did was in casualty, they've got a corridor where all the actors have like a little dressing room. And I just went down the corridor and I just knocked on his door, you know, and he, I think assumed it was probably an AD coming to get him. And yeah, come in. And I pushed open the door and he was like, taking it back. And I was like, listen, I just wanted it. And he was like, oh, no. I said, oh, listen, just please, just for a second. You know, um, I don't really know what happened there. And I don't know kind of what I did wrong. But I am going to apologize because obviously I offend you and I didn't mean to offend you. That was not what I meant to do. But can I just say we have two more weeks filming here and you're in a lot of the scenes. And so can we just find a common ground on how we progress from here on in? Uh, because I I don't want to be coming to set every day with this horrendous feeling my tummy that, you know, you're going to lose your shit at me or it wasn't exactly these words. Do you know what I mean? But like. Uh, and I was really nervous, like, you know, and he would have sensed it. Like, I didn't hide that. Like, I was fucking really nervous when I said it. And it, it, he just, like, totally diffused the situation, you know, and he was like, he was like, okay, yeah. He didn't, he didn't apologize, but he went, yeah, that's fine. We'll just, we'll, we'll be cordial. We'll make it happen. And we did. and made it happen. But I, I had no time for him after that. Like, you know, I made it, gave him, I, I actually don't think I ever gave him a fucking no after that, to be honest, because I just thought, fuck you, I'm not even going to waste my time, you know, but um, we got on, the show went on, did what it was, and it was one, but it was a really kind of, but I think it was an interesting thing, and I kind of go, and you you kind of touched upon it there, where I thought, I, in a way, I, I responded to that in a different way on the next show, which was someone, something similar happened, not in a kickoff way, but I went, um, someone said something about their character, I think it was in Silent Witness, and it was like, someone said something about their character, and I said that, and they were like, oh, I know my character more than you, and I said, do you know what, you may do, and that's I'm not going to actually agree disagree with you on that because you've played this role for 14 years or something. That's fine, go for it. But I'll tell you what I know better. I know these two scripts, 
way better than you know them because I've sat with them for six weeks and I don't know the ins and outs of every beat and moment within this block. So hear me out. And that went down a fucking treat. That was like, I can't argue with that. It was the response. And it was like, right. And we kind of hit it off. And I've kind of used that one ever since where it's like, where particularly that we're kind of going, yeah, you may know the character better because you're living it and inhabiting it. But I absolutely tell you that I know where this needs to go in episode four, or episode six. And the reason that you need to do what you do there is because it won't work if you do this there. And also I've spoken to the script team and they tell me in episode 43, which is 23 episodes down the road, this happens. And if you do this now, well, you can't do that in 23 episodes. So put that in your fucking pipe and smoke it and come back to me and talk to me in a second, you know? And and that works. And I think there's like a kind of a, uh, and, and that I think for me comes back to just knowing it's that's prep and that's, knowing your shit and it's like that's when you win as a director all the time is when you know your shit or if you don't know your shit you openly tell them you don't know your shit and say i don't actually know that but i'll tell you what give me an hour give me 20 minutes come back to me tomorrow and i'll have that answer for you or you know what even better than that for the next six weeks we're shooting this thing let's go on that journey and find that answer and when we find that answer it'll be really interesting because we'll see that and and then and, and i think that's so I think with actors, it's truth. I think always with any kind of actor, it's truth and being trusting and truthful. You've been truthful about your process, what it is you're trying to achieve, where you're going, what you're thinking. And in some ways, being really open and raw to that, like in, and kind of showing them your weaknesses, if you like, and also showing them your strengths. And I think actors tap into that massively because they have a unique ability to become other people. And even though sometimes they can be balchy and they demand this and they demand that, they're very insecure in their own kind of way because it's a delicate thing. They, they become somebody else and they perform every day as somebody else in their skin, being somebody else and being appreciative and understanding of that. I think they, they, they get that. And I think if you can connect really early doors on that. I was just going to say what you said there, I think was really interesting. I think what can often be forgot is that actors put themselves in very vulnerable positions you know if you've ever stood in front of a camera and tried to perform any form of intimate scene it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do so it's really interesting to hear you i guess letting them see your own vulnerabilities as a director and that you're not the person who has all of the answers that this is a process that we are engaged in together if it goes back to area we spoke about creativity you know about like they, the actors are creators as well you know they're they're massive and what they get the, the buzz they get from it is creating so that idea that directors tell you what to do i mean i don't i never live by that ethos it's not telling an actor what to do it's like that's 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 no fun like and i i, I experienced that in hollyoaks where on hollyoaks um uh the call time was nine o'clock but say for the cat but the crew call time was eight o'clock and i was like how does that work? And they were like, well, you come in and you set up your shot and then the actors come on. I was there going, uh. I was like, that's not going to really work for me. And they were like, how do you mean? I was there going, I kind of block with the actors. And they were like, nah, nah, you wish we never complete the day that way. I was there going, oh, I was kind of really interesting. And so I had to kind of work with that model, which is that come down, set the tracks, put the camera there, actors come in and you go, you go there, you go there, you go there, you bang, off you go. And you kind of go, I was like, oh, right, that's really interesting. I didn't, oh, I don't like that at all, you know? And I, I know why they do it. It's not, again, it's not, a, it's not the same. And it's um, but it was completely anti for me where I went, oh no, no, I don't, I don't like that at all, you know. And I really struggled with it. And uh, towards toward later in the block, they realized it and we started it and ended where they would bring the actors down and they do a little stand in for me and then they go off and do whatever they need to do. And it really was better for me. But they, a lot of the actors had tuned into that where they 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 were like, sorry, you you want me to tell me where you what? They were like, yeah. And you're like, well, would you want to be there or there? And they were like, what? What? What are you telling me? Just tell me where you want to be. And and, and that in some ways. 
they were kind of they thought I was a bad director because they were kind of going just tell me where you want to go and I was there going oh okay sorry it'll just be there then I was like oh. and I was trying to find a more organic process and, I, and there's no right or wrong here I'm not saying you know one way is right or the other but like it's just that was just my process you know and it's like I found that really difficult where I went and so a lot of the time for me uh like the the, the questions that I people I was like what notes what kind of notes do you give what do you say but a lot of time I asked the actor the question you know I kind of ask an actor a question and go well, well what do you think like what what's what are you thinking in that moment and they'll go well i'm thinking this and you're like oh, great that's what i think that's what you should be thinking or what about this and sometimes funnily you get you know what do you think and they go uh i wasn't really thinking anything and you kind of go mm -hmm, i can see that that's why we're going to go for take two because i can see you're thinking nothing think of anything it doesn't matter think of like fucking lunch if you want or your dead dog or whatever but if you think of something, you can see it. Like the, the screen picks that up. I can see that. You can see that. Great directors see that and go, they tap into that. And if you're thinking of lunch because you're hungry, the audience will see that as thinking of your dead dog because that's what the script says. It's about, do you know what I mean? Because, and so that their kind of magical performance is based, is based around that in a way. And so, you know, you're kind of going, a lot of the time, I think that's what it is. It's not about great directors tap into what it is, it, the, the story is about, and then they know the story inside out and the but then it's about working with the actor to go. And, and for me, it's that collaboration is really important and kind of going, well, what are you thinking? And what are you, and now flip with that and play with that and kind of go, well, that's great. But just for a second, there's another way you can think about this. What about that? And they go, oh yeah. And then they'll change the performance in, in a slightly different way. And you experiment and you kind of play with that. And you in, and within that, you find something. And, um, and, and, and quite often, like you find something really new and different, you know? And then, you know, a lot of the time, uh, with great actors, as you, as you know, you know, it, it's just about standing back. Like it's actually, it's it's about giving no notes. Like sometimes it is about giving no notes. And like actually realizing that is actually difficult sometimes because you feel like, you know, you're a bad director because you're not giving a note. But sometimes actually being able to stand back and say, no notes, that was perfect. Let's move on. Is great. I rarely do that, not out of no notes, because I just feel like I always kind of go, can we just try one more and just, just do something different where you kind of go, because there's always that thing where you kind of go, we, we think grief is that. And you kind of go, let's do grief because grief is crying and sobbing. And you're going to go, yeah, but can we try something else where grief is angry or grief is um, laughing? And you're like, why? Oh, fuck, you wouldn't laugh in grief. And you're going to go, yeah, but I, I've seen someone laugh in grief before. And you're going to go, yeah, can we just try that? And you try it and you go, that didn't work. Fuck off. Let's go. Move on. Or, oh, fuck, something happened there. And the actor will say, and it's, I think it's that thing where you kind of go, when you ask the really, really good actors what they feel or what they're, they're thinking, they'll they'll spiel off something. They'll, they'll go into a rant. Not a rant, but they'll tell you about and And you'll go, fuck, I was feeling that, you know? And then sometimes, you know, and even with Robert sometimes, you know, Robert is so tuned to it. Like, he's not necessarily thinking anything, but he's got, he knows what he's, he knows the performance. He knows what he's playing and he just plays it. You know what I mean? It's like, he's not, because he's not going full method with it. Like, you don't have to live the role, but like, he knows... He's tapped into what it is he needs to do and what that character is and that journey. And he mapped it out and we kind of mapped it out together in a way. And we never actually spoke about the map because we felt it would be interesting if he mapped his and I mapped mine. And we both kind of had a conversation about where we felt that went. And so there's times I'd come in and kind of go, that's interesting, you've gone there. And he'd go, oh, I think, and I'm going to go, oh, I think you go later. And, and we always kind of had this thing where, you know, there were scenes and that stuff where like at the filling station where he's supposed to kind of lose it, where he didn't really want to go over and I kind of wanted him to go bigger on the stuff, you know, and he kind of didn't really want to do it. And we did versions of it and he, he ended up being right. Like it was better in the end that he didn't lose at that point and it held off the later, you know, but we tried both where he did his thing and I did my thing and, and we explored it. And I, you know, I said, I, I don't know, you know, cause I think it's this. And, and I guess it's a, it's also being aware of there's an edit in this, you know, there's a process with editing. And sometimes I find talking to actors about that is important where the actor wants 
the full take. You know, they want from the very from action to cut to be almost perfect and flawless every time, and to be the same thing on take one, two, and three. And you're like, why are you doing the same thing three times? That's what. What? Why are we doing it exact? If we're doing it three times, we should alter something every time. The camera, the performance, something, so that we have something different in the edit to do. And also, if you have the first part of the scene in the first take, well then then move on to the second part of the scene. Just remember, like, there's no point doing it again. And it's that same thing where you're like, the actual go, oh, but that line, I did that better in the first take. And you're kind of going, yeah, I'll probably be on that though, on that moment. And talking about the edit, you're going to go, we'll be there, we'll come back to here, we'll go there. So I'll use that from the first take, but we'll use take three to open it and flip. And they're like, oh yeah, I never thought like that. You know, I think it's just been open. I, again, I think it comes back to honesty and truthfulness. Honesty, truthfulness, and communication. And I think they're the three kind of, if you can do that, I think you can be a brilliant director. And you will respond, and actors will respond to that perfectly. I love that idea of you and Robert kind of almost having these separate maps because I think it it actually lends itself to a, a kind of dynamic quality where you can actually achieve something that's spontaneous, which is I think is always the risk with, you know, I think even if you had rehearsal for weeks, like you still don't want to get stuck in choices that are made early on. You, you kind of always want to find ways to have something feel alive spontaneous yeah you know people talk a lot about the, the the moment they always talk you know you know being in the moment and like um i've kind of i i, I understand that thing you know i've always understood that but I, i've always kind of gone oh, what does it really really mean though you know kind of and it's interesting i was in it like last week you know like not an epiphany i like it's, i kind of feel like I've, I've known it but something happened where i thought actually this is the best analogy or best description of this where i can and it was it was in a casting room and we were casting and we had an actor really, really talented actor um, on one side of the table. And on the other side, we had a, a casting director, a really, really experienced casting director. But one is a casting director and one is an actor. And the casting director is reading lines and not really performing. The actor is trying to perform. And so acting is listening and responding. And so it's as much about the other person as it is about you, because that's what it has to be. And it has to be that because we don't know what's happening. We, we know because the script tells us so, but we shouldn't know what's happening because that's what makes it real, is that I don't know what you're going to say to me next. So therefore I listen and then I respond. And what happens in that is that when you rehearse it, I know what you're going to say next and I respond to that. And so in this audition, uh, there's, a, there's a moment where uh, the person has to do something to get the response they get, if that makes sense. So, uh, but it's a, it's a facial reaction. So someone goes to say something and the facial reaction is a don't do that kind of facial reaction, which is like, you know, don't do that again. And the person goes, oh, sorry, sorry, I shouldn't do that. If, if that makes sense, you know? And uh, every time it went on, and it's just an audition. So it didn't need to feel real, so to speak, you know, but every time it happened, it never, the, the moment, like it never felt truthful to me. You know, I always kind of like fell out of the scene for a second because what actually happened was, and this actor came in, this is the last actor that came into us on the day. I just, I said, I said, oh, can I just do something here? And she was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, this scene, it always doesn't work here. And they're like, okay. I'm like, what is it? And I was like, I, and I turned to the casting director. I said, it's because you're not acting. And she was like, oh, she was like, sorry. And then we had a joke about it, you know. It's like, it's because you need to respond there and do something and make a face for her then to, to react. Because what's happening is she's just picking up the cue and doing the, and doing the line. And it just feel, it falls flat, you know. And so we did it and we did a take of it. And the whole thing just suddenly just kind of came alive again, where the, the response felt uh, in, instinctive and it felt real. And you went, ah, and I went, that for me, that's the mo you know, the moment that we talked about, like she, she in that moment was living in the moment and responding in the moment to what just happened. But before then, she was just remembering the cue on the line that said, 
when I say my cue, she does that thing. And then I come out with my next line. And so what was happening was she was saying the line before, quite truthfully, would wait a beat and then just jump into the next line. But there was no moment. And then what happened then on the take, we did it, whereas the casting director did a kind of a kind of a silly face, you know, you one had a little half smirk and kind of, she did a return, did a half smirk and kind of went, um, oh, okay, sorry. Like another. And the whole intonation of the line was completely different because she felt something and kind of felt, oh, sorry, you know, I fucked up again. She, the way she held her face, her body, I said the intonation, the tone, everything changed. And you went, ah, that's, that's brilliant, you know. And I, I just kind of remember kind of in my own head noting that and going, that's a really valuable tool for me moving forward to kind of, and, and sometimes as a director, that's, that's what your job is to manage, is to manage. You didn't actually listen there because you knew that was coming and you just took the cue line and you went for the cue line. So get in the moment and you're like, what does that mean? You're coming on, I'll tell you what this means. It means listen to what they're saying, you know, listen to what it is and respond as if you've heard it for the first time. That's really, really, really hard to do. But great actors do it. And as a great director, I think that's what your, your job is. It's your job to make sure that everybody is living in that moment at every time from action to cut. That's what you have to do. And if that's not happening, then you need to fucking address that and refine that. And again, I think if you can do that, that's that's part, that's 90% of your job performance-wise. I think it's making sure they're happy, comfortable, and living within the moment every time. And that's what you're trying to do every time. Every time you shake it up. You, you probably remember from... On set, one of my my favorite things to do, and I think I learned it off somebody. I don't know where, but is that last minute note, which is that uh, camera set, everyone set, slate goes on, take one, take one, go, and I run onto the set. Now some first ADs hate it, but they get away, they get used to it, and I run on and I whisper something into the actor's ear, and it completely throws them, and they go, Ugh. and what happens is there's an energy to the scene that suddenly comes alive, you know. And some actors hate it because I kind of feel like they feel like they were going to do a great scene anyway, you know. And, some actors don't like it because they're gonna go, oh fucking you fuck me and you troll me. So and you gotta to respond to that in a way. But what it does is it, it creates an energy to the scene straight away where you kind of go. And also, you know, stuff where like again, this isn't. Some, I'm not saying you should do this all the time, but like I was working with a younger actor who by take three was getting tired, you know. And then what I started to do was I just started to like to roar stuff, and, and I like I, I started to roar like go back, say it again, and they they jumped and they'd say the line. And they jumped when they said the line. And suddenly something happened in the performance where you were like, do you know what I mean? And it's like, there's no rules is kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. There's no rules in performance. You've got to get the performance. And you've got to find a way to do it. And what you do is to tap into what people need from you. And you've got to find it. And, and spontaneity is the word you brought up. Is it, It's about trying to make it feel spontaneous and real and organic. And the more you do something, the less it feels that. So how do you make sure by take 10, it's still organic? And you got to, that's where, that's what a director lives, is, is trying to keep it real all the time. Yeah. And look, I think um, from anyone who watches any of your work will see that you achieve that repeatedly alongside making incredibly visual and interesting shows that if you look keen, witness, nightcaller, there is definitely a sense of, well, this is Dermot Goggins. And I think the more of those shows we all get to watch, the better. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. I really do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode one of the Filmmakers Podcast. I'm still finding the format of the show, but if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or filmmaking topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please put them in the comments on Instagram at the Filmmakers Playbook Podcast. 
Additionally, you can follow me on Instagram at Jason Brannigan Director. You can find Dermot on Twitter at Trax Goggins and on Instagram at Dermo Goggins. Join me next week when my guest will be the acclaimed screenwriter of the Sundance horror hit The Hole in the Ground, Stephen Shields. <laughs>